I remember I was like, mom, like I made a hundred thousand dollars. And I forget. She said, you're not going to quit your job, are you? I was just like, it wasn't like, congratulations. It wasn't keep going. How'd you do it? I'm proud of you. Do it again. And every day she said, you're not going to quit your job, are you? Because that might not last. And I'm thinking. So she planted that seed of doubt like that, man, like it might not last. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and or buy investing in the US, visit www www.reedgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Brown. Now, Jason is the founder of Power Trades University and five-year millionaire. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible experience with me. But enough of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Jason. Welcome, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited to mate, be here. My pleasure. Now, like I will say... For everyone listening to this, this is a, usually a real estate show, but we get on awesome entrepreneurs who are doing cool things and just in investing in general. And you know, I am first person to say I'm a student of wanting to learn more. So I'm just prefacing that for all the listeners out there, I'm not as experienced with the stock stuff, but I'm here to talk with Jason and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But Jason, before we do get into that, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made a, your first ever dollar as a kid? Well, a couple of things. First, I, you know, I just want to say thanks for having me on. And I know you say you normally talk about real estate and people might be like, well, why is a real estate, a stock market guy coming on talking to on a real estate podcast? And the reason I like to do, I get excited about people who have real estate podcasts because they don't, most people don't realize how intertwined real estate in the stock market is as far as the mm -hmm. mindset, what you're looking for, the strategies, everything. And so sometimes people like to put us against each other, like, which one's better, stock market or real estate? And it's like, <laughs> it's about both. And they're very similar, just kind of two different uh, asset class. So very similar. So uh, happy to be here. As far as how I made my first ever dollar as a kid, you know, that's an interesting story or that's an interesting question because I'm thinking my first dollar legally or my first dollar <laughs> <laughs> I illegal. I wanna hear I wanna hear the R rated version. This is all uh, no no all the cuffs are off, mate. Go, tell it tell us whatever you want to share. You know, I mean now that I'm on the other side, I could kind of talk about it, but I mean growing up where I come from, Detroit, Michigan, in the hood, not a lot of you know, we didn't grow up with a lot of opportunity. And so I, I think about my first dollars I made. I mean, we take out like my chores or different things like that. I really made my first money hustling. I remember we used to shoot dice in the bathroom. We take our allowance and we'd gamble in the bathroom at school and hope we don't get caught. You know, different drug deals and everything like that. They would put up pagers in the dice game. You could win a pager. I would take the pager. And back then you could change the case out for like 15 bucks. You could put like a neon case on it back when pages were popular. And it was this thing where you put like a neon front cover, but a solid back cover on the back. And you could turn around and sell that page for 50, 60, 100 bucks just because it looked good. That's when I kind of first learned marketing. Like, wow, it's the same pager, but the cover of the case made it more uh, appealing and enticing. And then I kind of graduated from gambling and just hustling to, I remember selling drugs as a kid. And I look back now, I'm like, wow, we were selling drugs at like 13. I can't imagine, you know, some of my 13 year old little cousins or something like that selling, uh, selling drugs. But I, I eventually transitioned out of that game uh, into the stock market game. And I guess I could share how I transitioned if you want me to go there. Yeah, no, I, I think let's, let's go there because I think this is, it's it's part of your story, right? And part of the reason we want to you know allow people to talk about their stories is that, particularly your background, I you know I didn't have that hard upbringing like like it sounds like you did, but I, I, I want to hear it because I want to understand what's that mindset shift to want to you know to, to change that that ways because I'm sure you could have stuck with that stuff and you know maybe ended up in a different path to where we are today. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you said something interesting, like I didn't have that hard upbringing. When you, when that's all you know, it doesn't seem so hard, but once you get out of it, you're like, whoa, that was definitely, you know, not a cool way to be, to be living and experiencing life. And so, you know, we grew up poor, we, you know, we grew up sleeping in sleeping bags. I remember when I went to my best friend's house and I was like, wow, you have a bed. And he was like, of course I have a bed. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, I thought you didn't get beds until you become a grown up. Like, that's when you mm. need a good night's sleep. You have a job. You got people to take care of because we didn't have beds as kids growing up. I look back now. I know it's just because we couldn't afford a bed. It probably wasn't a priority. Mom's like, you know, they sleep in sleeping bags. And so, you know, even through gambling, selling drugs, I was always what I like to call like a smart thug. I was the guy that like, I remember I was in a gang and in the hallway, everybody was like, what'd you get on your report card? People were like, I got three F's, two D's and an incomplete. Somebody else was like, I got four F's, two incompletes and like two D's. And it's like, Jay, what you get? And I was like, you don't want to know what I got on my report card. <laughs> and they're like, dang, it was bad. I'm like, you don't want to know. So it's like, I didn't lie. But I was like, I got in my head, I'm like, I got three A's, two B's, one C. I'm like, I'm getting up out of here one day. <laughs> so mm. you said like, you know, what made you want to get up out of there? Like I always knew, like, I'm not trying to live this lifestyle forever, but it was more like what I had to do to survive. And so what I started to do was I was just always smart. And so when I was 16, I remember figuring out like I was like, you couldn't work a full time job because it was a law that you couldn't work over 40 hours for one company. What I figured out was I worked about 20 hours on the weekend. And if I joined co-op, I could go to school half the day and go to work half the day and get like college type credits or high school credits that could be applied towards college. And I could go work 20 other hours and put them together and work 40 hours and make money. So like I was working 40 hours at like 16 because I found out how to hack the system. By the time I was 18, I saw my mom working two jobs. I thought, okay, I'll get another job. You know, now that I'm 18 and I can work 40 for one and maybe 20 for another. And I just realized that wasn't the way to go. You know, I started studying wealth and, you know, everyone was always talking about the stock market. And where I'm from, if you graduate, like that's a good thing because some people either got killed, got locked up, et cetera. And so when you graduate, there's like a big celebration. You usually get some money. And so I got $2,000 at my high school celebration. Now we hear stuff like, man, if you invested $2,000 when you were 18 and waited 20 years, uh, you know, came back at this age, you would have been a millionaire. So I'm like, why don't everybody do that? So I'm like, that seems simple enough. So I took my $2,000. I go to a well-known bank at 18. I'm like, I want to invest. And so lady just asked me two questions. Like, so, so why do you want to invest? Number one, I was like, to be rich. Like, why else do people do this? Like, is there another reason? And so I thought that was a silly question. And then she said, so you want aggressive funds? So I'm like, I'm 18. Yeah, I want aggressive funds. Like, I need aggressive growth. And so I gave her my $2,000. I come back later at age 20. I'm like, all right, how's my investment doing? I'm thinking it's going to be a $4,000, $6,000. Just like, oh, it's down to 700 bucks. I'm like, whoa, what do you mean it's down to 700 bucks? Like, that was my last 2000 Last time I checked, I'm not about to graduate soon. So I don't know where I'm going to get this kind of money from again. And so she's just like, I don't know what to tell you. And so I looked at her and literally, I don't know what it is about me, but I just was like, I just have this bravado or this confidence that like, if you lost my, I literally said like, I thought you come to the professionals because they don't lose money. I said, I could have lost my own money. I said, mm. give me my $700 back. I'll do this myself. I don't know. I just have this energy where it's like, dude, you're a human. I'm a human. We both breathe oxygen. Like, clearly you don't know that much more than me because you lost me money too. So I'm like, how hard can this be? So I take the 700 bucks, spend $200 on some Jordans. I bought some gym shoes to make myself <laughs> feel better. And at this time in my life, I'm making about $8 an hour working for Sprint PCS. And so on a Saturday, I'm selling cell phones just in case people don't know what Sprint PCS mm. is. I'm, I'm that guy in Best Buy or the store that's like, who's your cell phone provider? Ever thought about switching? And so I'm making $8 an hour. I'm making 64 bucks on a Saturday. Mind you, I've been working since I was 16. So I'm at like 20 at this point, and I've missed all the high school basketball games. I've missed all the Saturdays of hanging out with my friends. And so I'm like, man, if I could just make $50, because that was my take-home pay. It was 64 bucks working eight hours and I could take taxes out. I'm like, if I can, it was 50 bucks. If I could, I can make 50 bucks, like I finally won't have to work a Saturday. Because when you work retail on Saturday, the shift is like 12 to 8, 12 to 9. 
But the store closed at nine. They ain't got to clean up. So, I mean, like, by the time you get out, you have literally missed all the hangouts, the parties, rollers, you name it, you missed it. And you're like, what are you guys doing now? And that's about 1030, you know? And so I was just like, man, I'm trying to get my life back. And so I bought, I did what most people do. I invest in the company I work for. Our stock at Sprint was $5. I had 500 left. So I'm like, okay, I can get a hundred shares. And in my head, I'm like, I just needed to move 50 cents from $5 to 550 and I can make 50 bucks. And I figured if I could do this once a week or every other week, that'd be like, at least two Saturdays I didn't have to work. If I could do it every week, then boom, I wouldn't have to work Saturdays at all. And so I bought the stock at five and it immediately fell to four. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, mm, this doesn't work. Maybe I'm not smart as I thought. And so then the stock went back up to five. I'm like, okay, I just needed to go to 550. Stock then rolled over, fell back down to four again. So now I'm pissed. I'm like, the stock market's rigged. I'm like, that's why they asked for your social security number. They know exactly what price you got it at. I just felt like it was a man behind the curtains, like send it down. Don't let it go to 550. Like I just felt like it was rigged. And so it went down to four and I'm pissed. And then it goes back up to five and I'm like, I've seen this before. And so I get out at five, I break even stock falls back down to four. I get in, goes back up to five. I make my first hundred dollars. I didn't know if you drew that out on a piece of paper that it looked like a snake in the grass, right? Going from five to four, four to five, five to four, four to five. That's called a channeling stock pattern. So I'm like, what other patterns out there exist that I don't know about? So I start really studying these patterns. I get really good at flipping my $500 account. And so I'm like, okay, if I did this with 500 bucks and made $100, I get really good at making 100 bucks. I'm like, if I had $1,000, I would have made 200. Then I'm like, if I would have had 5,000 or 10,000, I'm like, whoa, I would have been rich. And so, and rich to me that at that time was like, just making a thousand dollars a month. I'm like, I am rich, <laughs> right? Cause I mean, $200 would have not allowed me to not work Saturday. So if I made a thousand, mm-hmm. I mean like that's taking the whole month off. Like I'm rich. So I'm like, where am I gonna get $10,000 from. So I told you I was a smart thug. I had an academic scholarship to the Mike Iller School of Business, Wayne State University here in Detroit, Michigan. So I was, saw people getting their student loans back and they were partying, paying off debt, going shopping, doing all this stuff. So I was like, I wonder if I apply for the student loans since I have a scholarship, will they pay me the money and I can use it however I want? So yeah, talk to a financial counselor. She was like, yeah, that's how it works. They'll apply your scholarship first, then your student loan money you can use for like living expenses. I'm like, well, I live at home. So I'm like, perfect. So I took the $2,000 student loan. I'm like, I'm going to put it in the stock market because I'm doing the same thing I'm doing just with more money. I actually ended up growing it to about a hundred, a little over 113, about $120,000 as a 21 year old college student. And at that point I was like, now I know what I want to do. So I dropped out of school and then I start trading like full time at that point. So that was like how I first really got introduced to the stock market. That is an insane story. That's probably one of the best stories, better stories I've had, probably top three. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome. So not that it was dumb luck, but I think you started clearly yourself aware enough to understand when things were going up and down. But at some point along that journey, were you ever like, do I need to you know, get, get a, get a mentor or read a book or like just, you know, you, you mentioned channeling stock patterns, that word wouldn't just naturally come up in someone's vocabulary if they've never freaking studied the thing. you like, they, they, at some point there has to be, now let's go and scratch that itch and I'm going to pick up the book or we're going to pick up the CD or whatever it was back in the day to, to start looking at more of those patterns to then be like, okay, now I can apply it in, in, in this way. For me, I didn't have any money to get any education, right? They already lost $1,300 of my money. I had like $500 left. So I had no money to get any education. So I literally learned that. I didn't realize till later that was called a channeling pattern. I learned it because I would just watch the market every day and I saw it go. Well, first I saw it with my money go from five to four mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, this doesn't work. Then I watched it go back up. Then I watched it go back down again. So I learned that by literally watching it every single day. And I just saw the pattern um, when you drew it out on a piece of paper. I'm like, wait a minute, it keeps going up to five and gets knocked back down. And so I just studied that. 
eventually I started studying other patterns and saying what other ones out there exist. Still didn't have really any real money to buy a course. I'm just doing everything that I can uh, for free at this point. And I just scaled the account just on my own. Now, what happened was the second half of the story is I drop out of school. I got over a hundred grand. I'm full-time day trading for three years. I run the account up to $300,000, right? I'm living off about 50,000 of it, spending money here and there, buy a Lexus, move out to the suburbs. Year three, I risk a quarter million dollars trying to make half a million dollars and I lose it all. I lose everything. Still no real formal training up until this point, just literally just blocking and tackling, learning on the streets, meaning just any information I get my hand on, I was using just all the free resources, just studying any way I can about the stock market. So after I lose all that money, I'm flat broke. I have to move back home to the neighborhood that I hate, drugs, bars on the window, people stealing your cars. I'm feeling deflated. And so I'm like, man, you know, I'm reading books at this time. I'm listening to reading Think and Grow Rich. I'm listening to audio books. I'm working on myself. I'm not just some random kid made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. I'm studying stuff in the meantime. And so like, you know, in these books, they start talking about like, you know, what would your hero do? And I'm like, okay, my hero, with respect to the stock market is Warren Buffett. I'm like, has he ever lost quarter million dollars before? If he quits, he never becomes Warren Buffett. So I'm like, if I quit, I never become Jason Brown, which whoever I'm supposed to be respect to the stock market. So I had this crazy idea. Jim Rome used to talk about like, take a picture, document your journey, document what's going on in your life. So I'm like, I'm going to do it one better. I said, I'm going to record myself making the money back because I know the stock market works. I, I mean, I ran it up to 300,000. Like, so I know it works. I just had to figure out like, why did I lose money? And why did I do some of the things that I did? And so when I realized that it works. I just need to put some parameters in place. I started recording myself making the money back. So that's how I started my YouTube channel and started to share and document the process of making the money back. But, but I'm skipping over a step. I went and got a job at Verizon because I had to make some money again. I built my lifestyle off the hourly and I used my commission checks to get back into the stock market. At that time, Verizon had tuition reimbursement. So I said, okay, now I know I want what I want to go to school for. I want to go to school for finance, right? So I was engineering at first. I go back to school for finance. So I'm like, I'm going to go back, use tuition reimbursement to get a finance degree, lifestyle based off the hourly, use my commission to get back in the stock market investing. I started to grow my account again, and then I started to lose money a little bit. That's when I finally said, maybe I should take a course to see if I really know what I'm doing. And so when I took the course, I guess I didn't really have the money for the course. It was like $4,000. I'm trying to rebuild my account. I owed a lot of money in taxes. I didn't pay taxes, stuff like that. So I eventually take a course finally. And then I get as good as the teachers. I start learning about what the patterns names were actually called. I was like, okay, I was on the right path. I didn't know there was software where you can kind of scan and look for these patterns, different things like that. And so I get as good as the teachers in that program. But then I'm like, kind of upset because I'm like, well, why don't they explain it like regular everyday people can understand it? And so now that I understood it better, I'm like, I'm going to explain it how I wish people would have explained it to me with no financial background, with no trading background. And so that was my bright idea. I'm already recording how I'm making the money back. People start asking me like, how are you finding these trades? So I said, I wonder if people would pay me for me to teach them about the stock market and explain it in regular everyday terms. And then I was like, it's taking forever to put like I'm making a thousand or two here on my commission checks. That's taking forever to put money back into my account and build it back up, at least to get back to three hundred thousand. You know, like if that's where you're at, that's a lot of money to be putting in the account. But I'm like, I'm trying to get back to where I was. So I was like, wow, I wonder if this is my ticket to get more money to put into the stock market. And so that's when I started teaching and sharing how it works, because I saw it as an opportunity to number one, help people who don't understand this and people weren't explaining it in regular terms. And number two, I'm like, by helping people, they say you don't know a thing until you can teach a thing. So I'm like, all right, so I'll go like test me to see if I really understand what I'm doing, if I can teach it. And it's a way to also make some extra money outside of my job to put back into the stock market. So that's to answer your question. That's when I finally took a course and I became as good as the teachers. Then I said, I'm going to teach this in the style that I wish I had when I was learning this stuff. And so that's, that's how I ended up building uh, Power Trades University.
That's that's incredible. What, one of the questions that comes to mind is early on, and given your 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 background and your upbringing, I'm sure you weren't surrounded by guys your age doing what you were doing. Like there would have been there would have been some times where you've had a lot of self doubt, right? Like particularly after losing the, all the money and probably family members saying, "What are you doing?" You know, <laughs> you know, like and and that's. Talk a little bit about that because that's that's hard. It, you know, a lot of people go through when you when you know you got something good, but you've had that setback early on, and you start self doubting, and then you got other naysayers like, "What are you doing, dude? Like, you know, come on, you need to be coming over and doing something, you know, over here," and you, you got to keep pushing through. I've had several, you know, it's, it's just so funny. It's like, how much time do we have? <laughs> I got so many, you know. There's so many miniature nuggets in my life that I look back at the time, I didn't think, you know, I'd be excited to share them on a podcast or anything like that. But when I look back on my life, you know, there was two very distinct moments, maybe three that stick out more than the rest. I remember when I was 18, I was standing in Sprint PCS selling cell phone. I mean, standing in Best Buy selling for Sprint PCS. I'll never forget I heard about a book called Think and Grow, not Think and Grow Rich. I read that one later. I had read about, heard about a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. And I remember telling the guy, in fact, I think it was both of those books at the time, but I only had enough money to buy one. And I remember telling another coworker, like on our lunch break, back back when you would buy books from Barnes and Nobles before Kindles and mm-hmm. Amazon and audio books, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble on my lunch break. I'm getting a book either Think and Grow Rich or Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I remember, you know, he looked at me and he used the N word, which I won't repeat, but he was like, you know, N word, like what you, what you want to be rich. And I remember for a split second, I was like, nah, I was about to go like, nah, man, let's go to lunch. Let's hit McDonald's up or go to Panera bread. And, you know, I, for a split second, I started to be like, nah, mm. I don't want to be rich. Cause it was more like that. You trying to leave us. You think you are smarter than us. Mm. And I remember that being a pivotal moment. Cause I was like, yeah, I do want to be rich. Mm. Like I made a choice that moment. Like I could have said, no, nah, I don't want to be rich. You're right. I forget that book. And I was like, yeah, I do want to be rich. And I remember that moment I pivoted and he just was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, like, all right, then like, but that was his way of challenging me to see if I really wanted what I wanted. And mm. I was like, yeah, I want I got to go get this book, <laughs> you know, like rich dad, poor dad. I keep hearing about her thinking grow rich. One of the two, I got to get them. And so I remember that moment in life. The second moment was I remember when I made that hundred and it was over one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars. And I never forget. I talked to my mom. Um, she passed away this past August. And but I never forget this conversation that. we had. Yeah, thank you. And she said, uh, I remember I was like, Mom, like I made one hundred thousand dollars. And I forget. She said, you're not going to quit your job, are you? I was just like. It wasn't like congratulations. It wasn't keep going. How'd you do it? I'm proud of you. Do it again. And every day she said, you're not going to quit your job, are you? Because that might not last. And I'm thinking. So she planted that seed of doubt like that, man, like mm. it might not might not last. And so I, I, and I just remember like that was like the knife in my heart because I was so excited to tell her, like, look at what your son did. Aren't you proud? Like coming from where we come from. No father. Well, my dad passed when I was two. No real education on the stock market. And her response was just like, you're not going to quit your job, are you? So that was a tough moment uh, in life as well. And then I remember the third moment, it was somewhere in between there. Because me and my cousin, once we were like hearing about the stock market, learning about it, we didn't have any money. So we was like, let's ask 10 family members for like a thousand bucks and we can start like a fund. And everybody was just like, boy, y'all crazy. Like, I don't want to give me all a thousand bucks. Like, that stuff don't work. And like after we grew our account separately over a hundred grand, now everybody's like, what if I gave you a thousand dollars? Can I put 500 with you? You know, what could I do if I put some money with you? And now we're like, <laughs> we don't want y'all money. We don't even want y'all working with us now. Cause like you didn't believe it as when we, when we had no money, now that we got a little money, we don't even want the headache <laughs> of, of dealing with your little money now. So those were like the three moments distinctively where, when you're trying to do something different, it was just like, you know, a coworker and, and family members that just didn't really give you the encouragement that you thought you should have, but still had to press on anyway, because I remember looking at my mom like, look, 
you work in two jobs and like if I don't do something different, then I can already see what my future looks like. And so I didn't want that future of working two jobs. She was a good mother, good Christian, all that other stuff. But when it came to finances, you know, she she worked at Target part time on side of her real job. And so I'm like, that's not what I want for me. I don't want to be in selling cell phones on the weekend in my adult life, trying to work my side gig and no disrespect anybody working a side gig. I was just like, I got to figure this out. Mm. Same thing with my coworker. I was just like, bro, you still go be here when I'm gone. And, and sure enough, some of those people are still at Verizon or they got laid off and they still are in retail and no disrespect to retail. But I'm just like, I, I was like, I do not want to be 50, 60 standing on my feet selling phones all day and them bothering me about did you sell a Bluetooth speaker with that? Did you get them to upgrade and add text messaging? And I was like, I, I, that ain't going to be the rest of my life. So even mm-hmm. though, you know, I had those moments where like, I didn't get the encouragement I wanted. I also looked at their life and was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to continue down this path. Cause uh, unless y'all got something better for me, which no one did, I don't want to end up doing what you're doing. And, mm. and our, our, what we're doing, we're both here at Best Buy selling. So like, I got to get up out of this. And so I just had to continue down my path. Everyone who I talk to on this podcast, I'm doing 400 episodes. We all have a moment of the one, the world challenging us in those three moments that you just mentioned about, like your mate at lunch, your mum, and the, th- the third one, I f- sorry, I forgot, but, but there, there's, there's a p- family, man, family <laughs> members, right? Not, not, not believing you. But there's a point where you're trying to move away from hardship or there's a pain that's strong enough within your life that's going to force you to change the direction, right? And we all have, I think entrepreneurs in general have that sameless sense, regardless of where you come from, right? You, Everyone's got a story, but it's so nice to hear you articulate that in a way that is like you pinpoint exactly where those moments were. Because when you look back, that's going to keep reminding you. I'm sure it has kept reminding you over the years when things have gotten tough or whatever. You know, I have made the decision to do it on my own and do it something different. And like, you know, to your mum, you know, kudos to her. She just didn't know any different, right? She she probably was really proud of you, but it came out in a different way because she was worried for you. But I know those conversations that people have because they grew up in a different time, right? And they grew up in a different era about get the job, be secure, you're good for 50 years and, you know, everything will take you care retire, of you. retire, get benefits. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, grew exactly. up in that time. So I I, lay, I didn't hold it against her later. I'm like, that's all she knew. You know, my mom from Mississippi, they grew up in the South, cotton right. picking, slavery, right. like talking about becoming rich from the stock market. That was pie in the sky for mm-hmm. her generation. You know, it's like, we migrated to the north, get you a good factory job at Ford, GM, or Chrysler. That was good living to them, not mm. let's make a hundred grand from the stock market, you know? Mm. That just there is like such a reality check that, you know, I, I never had to do that, you know? And so it's, I, I guess the question to you now is do you help other young black folk with the education side of it, like to, to be more financially literate in that? stock market investing and stuff like that because you didn't have that growing up you had just more of the the willpower to just change something from internally are you helping other people in your shoes you know pave a different path yeah as much as i can and so like coming on podcasts like this is my way of giving back whether it's young black or african americans who don't understand the stock market or just people who just didn't come from a financial background right. they feel like they came from right. the other side of the tracks and i don't care if that's white Indian, all of us have that, like, we not from that side of the tracks, right? We mm-hmm. don't we with the silver spoon. We don't have the rich uncle who could guide us and show us how he built his empire. We don't, you know, I didn't have assets that were going to be passed down to me when my parents passed away. Right. And so mm-hmm. I love speaking out and letting that class of folks know that there's still opportunity for us, no matter regardless of where we came from. And some of the ways I do that, I have number one podcast, I have my own podcast, our courses. And then even with my YouTube videos, I try to help people for free who can't afford the courses because I'm like, I know how instrumental looking for free information was back when I was just scouring anything I could to find some information about the stock market. And then as well, it's funny you bring that up, like uh, in, in about three weeks, I'm actually going to speak to a group of middle schoolers and I'm the only one there that's a YouTuber, podcaster, and stock market, like full-time stock trader. 
my sessions, they sent me an email. It was like, your sessions have sold out. I got like four sessions. I don't know who the other speakers are. I mean, they're like <laughs> regular professions, but it's so cool to see like the YouTuber and the stock trader session sold out. And like, I'm not getting a dime for doing this, but like, I am so pumped to go speak at this school. Like, yeah. it's, I feel like I'm getting paid a hundred grand, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> because I'm there to tell them kids like, yes, you can do this. You don't have to sell drugs. Like, cause where I'm from, the only people who drove the nice cars, like the drug dealer. And then if it wasn't the drug dealer, unfortunately, it was the basketball player. It was the rapper. Like, that's all we had to look forward to. I mean, now many more people that look like us from different ways have made money. But I feel like back then it was like only the rapper, only the basketball player. And so like even my cars, I had a Ferrari. I sold it. I have a Rolls Royce, but my license plate say I invest. It's on purpose because I don't want people to be like, what does he play? Like I don't play nothing is I invest. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now when people pull up on me, they say, what do you invest in? And I'm like, that's the question I want to ask. Now, do you play basketball or football or something like that? And so I'm constantly shining bat signals, <laughs> trying to let people know that, you know, there's another way. That's awesome. And, you know, the mission to living is giving, right? But I want to pivot just quickly to come towards the end of the show here. Talk about something more in the, the today's realm, you know, bring it back to the real estate slash, you know, stock markets, what you mentioned earlier. We are all affected by what's happened in the last, you know, in the investing side today, like in the real estate side, the, the Federal Reserve has increased interest rates at the, you know, at the quickest rate in the last 20 years, which has completely put at least the commercial real estate on ice. I haven't been paying a ton of attention to the stock market, but I know that affects asset prices across, you know, as Federal Reserve goes up, asset prices come down. I'm talking asset prices across the board of, of investing. So how has your last 12 to 18 months been with this massive rate hike, inflation, all that stuff? And how's that affected your portfolio? And how's that affected the way you're investing today? So the most powerful thing about the stock market is that you can make money in both up and down markets, meaning like you can buy put options or you can short stock and make money from them falling. Obviously, you can make money from buying low and selling high as things increase, but most people forget that you can make money from stocks falling. And they also don't realize that you can make money the same way that you make money in real estate as if it's rental income. And so that's what I love about the stock market is when you put them side by side with real estate, they're very similar, but the stock market has you never run out of opportunity. In real estate, you're like, I got to wait till prices come down. I got to wait for foreclosures. I got to wait for interest rates to maybe get reduced. In the stock market, you don't have to wait for nothing. There's always a stock going up. There's always a stock going down. And then there's always a strategy to play them no matter what they're doing. So for example, you said like interest rates are up, kind of put commercial real estate on ice, kind of put a residential real estate on ice too, because nobody wants to move and give yep. up their current interest rates. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now you kind of got this gridlock where no one's moving and there isn't really any quote unquote deals because in real estate, you're looking for deals. Look at the stock market though. Is that all time highs? Is that all time highs right now? If you look at it as the day of this recording, stock market is at all time highs, even with the Fed raising interest rates to their all time high. And a lot of it has to do with businesses can lay people off. There's AI, there's automation, there's cost efficiencies. A lot of people are shopping online. Everyone needs websites and tech. I mean, so there's there's reasons how companies can maneuver and still squeeze out profits versus in real estate, sometimes you don't really have those other levers you can pull. It's like very simple. I need to buy a house for cheap, let it increase in value. Well, if houses are at all time highs. It's like, then I can't buy anything really cheap. Okay. I need people getting evicted. No one's getting evicted. Okay. So you're kind of like, you're yeah, like, yeah. okay, I only got like three levers to pull. But here's what's cool about both of them that most people don't understand. So let me give you a couple of real tangible examples. If you think about real estate, if you think about the process of what you have to do to find a deal, right? You're looking for a city, a state, an area, you're drilling, you're looking for, let's say a state, 
You drill down to a city, you drill down to a neighborhood that you think is up and coming. There's opportunity. It's the same in the stock market. You look at the S&P 500, you drill down to a sector. You may say sector is technology, drill down even further and say AI, artificial intelligence. This is a neighborhood that stocks and people are moving into. And then you drill down to individual stocks. Who's a big player? Microsoft, NVIDIA, AMD making the computer chips, Amazon Web Service to host stuff in the cloud, right? And so it's the same thought process of picking the state, the city, the neighborhood down to the specific house. Same thing, picking the industry, the industry, the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ, down to the sector, down to the individual um, stock. The other thing is in real estate, if you think about it, in real estate, let's say you see a house. And I always tell everyone, if you've ever bought a house, you participate in the stock market. They're like, what do you mean? You bought a call option. If you buy a house and it's $200,000, you say, hey, I like this house. They ask for earnest money deposit. You put $2,000 down. You go get an, you got 30 days to get an appraisal, inspection, whatever the case may be. You get it appraised, you get inspected. They come back and say, good news. This house is appraised at $250,000. Now, someone else is like, oh, I want that house. You're like, but it's under contract. You're like, but hey, if you really want it, it appraised at 250, you say, hey, I have it under contract. I'll sell you the contract for $50,000 and you can go buy the house for $200,000. So that person, they paid 250, they're happy. They got the house for 250. You just controlled a $200,000 asset, but you only put up $2,000 to control it. And also when you sold that contract for 50,000, you turned $2,000 into $50,000 and you actually never had to buy the house. You just controlled it for 30 days. In the stock market, that's called a call option. You bought a call option on Apple, Tesla, and in 30 days, the price increased. You actually never bought the stock. You just sold that contract to somebody else so that they can buy it. And so it's very similar in real estate. In real estate, I guess you would call that wholesaling, where you had it on the contract, you never really bought it, and you just transferred it to somebody else who actually wants the house, wants to fix it up, or wants to move into it. Most people don't realize that's the same thing you can do in the stock market, except for there's unlimited stocks that you can do it on and you're not competing with the other flipper down the street. If you look at it the opposite way, and it's not necessarily a real estate example, but you can make money from stocks falling with put options. I would tell people if you've ever paid for insurance on your house or insurance on your car, you're buying what's called a put option every single day. And what that simply means is if you buy a $100,000 Mercedes, you're paying $300 a month for insurance. If you run that car into a wall, you get into an accident, now the car's worth zero, you total it. You can call your insurance company up and put that car to them for $100,000. I mean, they gotta cut you a check and make you whole. So you're buying put option, you're protecting your account or your car by buying that insurance every month. You can do the same thing in the stock market and protect your $100,000 account or make money from stocks falling. And just like real estate, you buy a house, $100,000 house, and you rent it out, collect rent every month. If you own 100 shares of any stock, you can actually rent it out every single month and get a check every single 30 days. So you could buy 100 shares of Apple, 100 shares of Tesla. It's called selling a covered call. It's covered because you own the stock, and you can rent it out and get a check every single 30 days, the same way you rent out a house. And so it real estate and the stock market, the strategies are very similar and very much in sync. And so that's why I say we're really more common than most people think, except I can just do all my work from at home, behind a computer. I don't have to drive. I don't have to look at, I'm deal with title, escrow, property taxes, any of that stuff. I could just let my fingers do the walking, just looking at different stock charts every single day. That was so, such a great example. Because I think so many people do look at it like, you're investing in a business that you have no control over. Like the whole argument behind real estate, besides the taxation piece, because it's a physical asset, is that you have the lack of control. You don't have the control over Microsoft or Apple and how well they do or not do. And it's more around the strategy of looking at trends in the past to then making, quote unquote, the bet on whether they're going up or they're going down. And I'm sure part of your portfolio is in put options, part of your portfolio is in long-term blue chips, like, and part of your portfolio would be in you know other sort of more safer different risk categories in the stock market, like there is in real estate, right? There's fixing and flipping, there's wholesaling, there's buying long-term rentals that is going to appreciate over the long term. So, you know, I really, really appreciate Jay, you 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 actually breaking that down because so many people 
don't understand that. And, and you know, I've had a couple of people on, uh, from the stock market experience come on the show and never actually explain it in that way to bring it back to real estate. And, and, and it's so true that you can use, and that's the beauty of the Rich Dad Porto coming all the way back. Like once you start scraping the surface of financial freedom, you can start seeing gems everywhere. And I'm talking about not just in real estate, I'm not talking just in the stock market, I'm talking about creating money for yourself and long-term wealth through understanding how businesses work. And that's the fundamental, that's the fundamentals of what we're doing is just your widget might be a stock, my widget might be housing, someone else's widget might be, I don't know, creating pens, <laughs> you know, and if you know how to buy- an Amazon, uh, Amazon store, Etsy exactly. store. Exactly. It could be anything. eBay it could be, store. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of this world. Sometimes you take those blinkers off to your friend in that lunchroom, to your mum who had that upbringing. It's like, wow, the world is seriously your oyster now. And, and, and you got to go out and, and, and go grab it. So I, that, that's what gives me excitement and juice interviewing people like yourself. So, so awesome stuff, my friend. As we come to round, round up the show, what have you got planned for coming here? It's the end of the year. We're recording just before Christmas. This won't go live to 2024, but what's the, what's the future look like for you in the next 12 to 18 months? So you said something I do want to just comment on real quick. You said like people in real estate seem like, but I don't have any control if the stock market goes up. It's like, but you're doing the same research. You don't have any control if the house market goes up. Right. But you're doing research on when you believe based on data, an area is going to increase, a house price is going to increase. It's the same thing. I believe I'm doing research and saying, I believe AI, people are moving into that sector. People are going to need more computer chips, more computing power. They're going to need more servers, more space. And so I'm doing the same research of why I believe that neighborhood and that house is going to increase. And the second thing I wanted to just touch on real quick is when you think about real estate too, what do most people do? You try to find like your team, your plumber, your roofer. And then after you get houses and assets under management, you try to find a, I forget what they call it, um, a, pro- a property management Manager. company. Yep. Well, how do you know if that's a good property management company, a good roofer, a good plumber? You do your research. You look what their work looks like. What do we do over in the stock market? We find a good property manager. I call him Tim Cook. He runs a company called Apple. Who's his plumber, his engineers, his customer service people? What stores does he get his products from? The Apple store. He sources from China, right? That you're looking at, are you getting this from Home Depot? Are you buying the cheap products to put this in my... So I have confidence in the research that I hired the right property manager to run the right company. They got the right product, an iPhone. They got recurring revenue. That's why I believe that property, that neighborhood is going to go up. Right. So it's the same thing Mm. over here. You hired the right plumber, the right property manager, and you did research on why you believe you're going to do business with them and that they're going to increase value over the long term. So, again, we like to pick and choose. Like, I don't have any control over here, but we don't really tell ourselves. Right. (laughs) <laughs> you realize it's the same thing you're doing over there. And so, you you know, sometimes we make excuses why we don't play in the other field. And for the record, I actually have my real estate license as well, because I realize like some of the skills are actually transferable. To answer your other question, you know, what does the rest of, you know, 2024, 2025 look like for me? You know, I have multiple streams of income. I have my coaching and course stock market education business, which is over a million dollar business as well. I have my investments. And then I'm also working on the book to teach people how they can become a millionaire within five years. It's called Five Year Millionaire, which is why our program is called Five Year Millionaire. It doesn't mean that everyone will become a millionaire. I want to be very, very clear. It's more about how you can start your journey to becoming a millionaire within five years by placing a certain amount of trades and looking for a certain amount of investments. And so I'm constantly focused on how can I help people in 2024? And then how can I also diversify and expand my my own empire? Because I've also seen a bunch of stock market traders go broke as well. And so, you know, as I sit here in my house, uh, we paid off our house. And a lot of people would be like, well, why would you pay off your house? You can put that in the stock market and make more money. And it's like, but I've also seen stock traders go broke. I've also seen business owners go broke. And when they go broke, one of their biggest expenses is their house because <laughs> they never paid it off when they were making good money, you know? And so I'm always looking at different levers in my life to make sure like if interest rates are high or this, that comes around, 
it doesn't affect me to the point where I lose my business or I lose my livelihood. And so that's going to be my continued focus in 2024, as well as making sure other people put things in place to make sure that as they keep leveling up, they also put something in place so that they can't get knocked down into the basement like I did when I lost all my money at 24 and had to move back home. Uh, I love it, man. I, I I wish you all the best and the success. And just uh, it's just for anyone listening, you know, we're, we're going to get at the end of the show exactly where you can go find out all, all Jason's stuff. But with that being said, Jason, we're going to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, question number one is what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? A daily habit with respect to the stock market is looking at charts. I look at charts every single day on the stock market side. On a personal side, I really try to read a mantra or do something to stay positive. Uh, You start to realize whether you have money or not, but especially once you get money, it's less about the skill of making money and more about like believing in yourself, protecting your mindset um, and making sure you don't really go negative. So uh, on the stock side, reading charts personal development side, just really, whether it's reading a book, I actually listen to an audio that says like, um, people happily pay me for my expertise. It'll just say that like over and over again for 10 minutes, or it'll say like money, uh, freely flows to me. It'll just say that over and over for 10 minutes with a beat behind me. I'm just trying to program myself that like, yes, money freely flows to me. I'm a good person. I deserve this. So I do a lot of personal development. I love that. I, I think those mantras are so important as what you said before of like when you make money to it's not about when you start making it it's now about the mindset of keeping to attract it because it's used as a tool so i think that that's that's freaking awesome speaking of tools question number 2 is who's been the most influential person in your career to date i'm going to say my mom <laughs> my mom has been the most influential person on two levels number one i i, I loved her and i do love her so much that from a young age, I was like, I know I'm going to have to take care of you someday. And so I always wanted to make money so that I could provide for her in her like later years. Now, obviously, she she just passed at 70. Um, but like I was prepared, like, you know, we got a big house. We got well, we, you know, a whole we got a kitchen, and a whole separate house downstairs, three bedrooms down there. Like I was prepared, like if my mom had to move in, it wasn't going to be a nursing home. So my point is I was grinding because I always wanted to take care of her in her later years. And then she was also my biggest motivation because at the same time that I respected her and loved her, I didn't want to be like her. I didn't want to work two jobs. I didn't want to live in a neighborhood with bars on the window, even though she did the best she could for us. She was also my motivation. Like that's, that's not what I want for, for my kids someday. Mm. Uh, So she was my biggest motivation. Love it. Love it. Question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? Now, when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software you just can't run the business without. What is it? I'm going to say my laptop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm a a digital CEO, meaning like in order for me to look at stock charts, I need a laptop. In order for me to place a trade, I need a laptop. A lot of people are like, can't you trade from your phone? But it's not a big enough screen to really look at the patterns and get the data and do research like that. Uh, So I'm going to say my laptop is the best tool because that's the gateway to having access to my project management system to run my business, gateway to having access to the charts to trade stocks. It's the gateway to us live streaming and doing the podcast and producing it. So hands down, I got the MacBook Pro, the latest edition. I I have to have a good laptop. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? The biggest failure was making $300,000 and then losing it all. Because I think from that, I really was forced to make a decision like, was this a fluke? Was I lucky? Am I going to get up after getting knocked back down? Like, what are you really made of? And so that failure, like, let me know that I could come back from anything. And so like, now I feel like, I could lose all my money. Like I'd be okay. I know how to build it. I got the playbook. I know roughly how long it takes to get it back. And so like that, that part is invaluable, but I I wouldn't have ever learned that if I just was like success, I took my student loan and made money and then I grew and I never looked back and now I'm rich. I mean, how many people would want to learn from me if that was just a story versus like, I lost it all. I documented myself getting it back and I can show you how to do the same thing. Like, I don't think I would have even been able to help as many people without that failure. 100%. No, I think, yeah, 
Success is great and it breeds more success, but it's actually the times of failure where you realize what you're made of. And um, I, I couldn't agree one, well, more with what you just said. So awesome stuff. Last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? So the best place to check me out is at thebrownreport.com. A lot of people ask, how can I learn more about the stock market? How can I learn more about options? It's at thebrownreport.com on our website. We have what's called a stock market starter pack. So if you don't know what the three most popular trends are, you don't know how to open an account, what kind of account you need. Um, we walk you through all that. It's a free, it's a white paper, not not literally a white paper. People might not know what that means, but it's a, it's a stock market starter pack, a well put together PDF. And then there's a stock option starter pack, which talks about cause and options in that whole real estate example. We have it drawn out for you so you can really understand how that works. If you want to connect with me on social, Instagram, YouTube, all the socials are right there at thebrownreport.com. But I'm also the Brown Report on all the other platforms as well. Awesome stuff, my friend. Well, look, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today to share, to you know, really to be vulnerable with us and, and share your story early on in life. And some of the things I took away from today's show is just the realization of how similar both real estate and stock market investing is, right? You, the, so those examples you gave, I can definitely see it now that I can, you could go imply the same tricks and trade, you know, what we do in real estate in, in the stock market to help you, uh, you know, be a better investor. I also just, you know, love how your curiosity, I think is probably the, bit, the best word to, to use about as a young person trying to be curious when no one else around you was and helping you keep going even in, in early failures and keep putting that money aside and being disciplined and not having that unwavering you know, belief in yourself that you're going to, you, it's going to happen. And I think that is part of what a lot of entrepreneurs are made of. It's that, you know, the highway is foggy. You don't stop driving. You just keep, you just drive a little slower. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll get there. You don't know, you don't have all the answers laid out in front of you, but you will get to where you're going. So um, did I leave anything out? No, no, I think you hit it. I think you hit it on the head. And I just hope it's been insightful for uh, anyone that's in real estate that's thinking about the stock market or if they've been in the stock market before and lost money, um, just know that, you know, there's strategies and ways that maybe you didn't know that once you learn them, you can have a better experience. Well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jason Brown. Remember, head over to thebrownreport.com. It's The Brown Report on all the socials, Twitter. Go over there, check it all out. Consume some of the stuff that he's been putting out there. Even if you are a real estate investor, you have invested in the stock market before. It's good to be part of a diversified portfolio. So really go check everything he's got going on. I want to thank him again for taking some time to jump on the show. I want to thank you guys again as well for jumping on this show, listening this show each and every week. The easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes, and we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. 